Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Mike, we got a show to do. While we do? Is it that time already? (laughs) Yeah, it's that time. Okay. It is time for Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors, a Letterman Tribute podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. Welcome back to Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. I am Mike. And I'm Rusty. Yep, I'm here with Rusty. Yep. And uh, episode two, basically, for you and I. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And um, episode one, we talked a lot about Letterman's like early career. And uh, then I think we ended up with the morning show. Right? Yeah, discussed that, the morning show. That nobody liked. <laughs> Everybody liked, but nobody liked at the same time. Sure. Yeah. Emmy Award winning show, canceled. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, canceled pretty quickly, too. It, was, uh, it only lasted, what, a year? Oh, not even that. It lasted a, a, a season. Okay, so it lasted a season, and we're looking at the end of, what, 1980? Late fall, 80. Yeah, around late fall. Yeah. I think they canceled in October was the last show. Yeah. It was, that was the final episode was uh, October 24th, I think. Yeah. Of 80. So um, between the two of us, you are definitely the research guy. You've done a lot of this. I am, I am through this podcast, living... Um, reliving memories and reliving times that uh, all this stuff happened. Absolutely. Right? And so, so as someone who who didn't, I mean, here and here where we live, we we didn't get the David Letterman Morning Show. We didn't get any of that stuff. Mm. And so, I had no clue who this guy was until he started uh, in what was it eighty two with Late Night. So that's your first, yeah. Not even Carson. Then your first like well, slightly had, with Carson. I had seen him on Carson, but think about it. You've you know, seen a hundred guys on Carson. Yeah, you've yeah. seen a hundred guys on yeah. Carson, and you know, like you could always tell that that he was you know uh, good friends with Johnny and stuff, but. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how it changed my life to see Letterman on Carson. You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I wanted to start off with, actually, I got a gift for you today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, uh, I did some eBay and, and stuff, and oh, uh, I wanted to bring you a gift for the podcast here. Wow. And uh, I'll let you uh, open it and tell everybody what you got there. So we got a, uh, we got a, oh, oh, my goodness, look at this. This is fantastic. So we have, uh <laughs> So we've got a comic book here. It is um, <laughs> so it's it's the Avengers, the Marvel Avengers, uh, on late night with David Letterman. Absolutely, I thought you'd appreciate that. I remember <laughs> bringing it up in the last uh, the, our last conversation. Little did you know that uh, I had already ordered it by the time no, the first I podcast had, was recorded, I had and no uh, idea. it finally came in. It took a little while for it to get here, but here this it is. is. Fantastic. So it says on the front, it's got it's got a. Uh, a <laughs> Weird drawing of Letterman because his hair is is really odd here. It looks oh, they like got a, the gap perfect though. Yeah, it looks like yeah. a big helmet on his head, right? And then you've got Hawkeye and what looks to be Plastic Man and Black Panther and uh, some other. Well, I know uh, you're from the the comic book generation. The comic books didn't yeah. really like hit my generation as hard as it hits yours, but I figured you would yeah, appreciate man. that being a Letterman fan and a comic Dude, book guy. I, so I appreciate this so much. Yeah, absolutely. This is January of. What year? 1983. So that's going to be a year mm-hmm. after his show started. Mm-hmm. This is like when he was starting to hit his peak. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because if you think 83, 84, I mean, that is when he became a staple. Yeah, he won Emmys back to back one, two, three, four, five, six years in a row for his show start. Yeah, it uh, there's a there's a stamp on the front of it. It says, beware, it's assistant, assistant editors month. Don't say we didn't warn you. 
and then over where the UPC should be, you, you can tell that this one was sold either uh, direct to the consumer or it was sold within a comic shop or something because it doesn't have a UPC code on it. Okay. And it says, warning, surgeons have generally determined that assistant editor's month is dangerous to your health. <laughs> I, that's that's very much an inside joke. It I don't is. know exactly what I'm it means. I'm not but, sure either, but I'm, uh, it's Letterman-esque. And I like how all the all the Avengers up here in the little Marvel thing, all their heads are turned backwards. Oh, I didn't even his, see that. Oh, I didn't even see notice that. the back of their heads, which is weird. That is weird. But it's got Letterman on the front and then all these Avengers around him, and it says we're going to have more fun than Earth's mightiest heroes should be allowed to have. Which there's also other comics that were done by <laughs> Harvey Picard, I think is his name. Yeah, Harvey he, Picard. Picard, yeah, Picard. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually more comics out there. But that was the one I thought was uh, was most fitting. I thought it was hilarious. Dude, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Um, and, and Harvey Picard was always one of my favorite interviews on Letterman. There was Stranger. There were some of the Otter so podcasts. Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some of the Otter podcasts, or not podcasts, sorry, but some of the Otter video clips yeah. that I watched of yeah. uh, David Letterman interviews. That was one of the guys that was up there. Well, and there's a movie with... Um, Anyway, there's a movie about Harvey P. Carr's life, and I can't remember the name of it. It's got um, the guy from Sideways, um, not the one from The Wings, but the other one. Anyway, there's a movie out there about okay. Harvey P. Carr's life. I'm sure, too, yeah. will, I'm sure people yeah, will I'm be sure, like, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, idiot. You know, that's, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> okay, so the, the show has been canceled, even though it won Emmys. Yep, show's canceled at this point, mm-hmm. so... Uh, at this point, Fred Silverman, the mm. uh, NBC guy, he yeah. uh, he loved David Letterman. He appreciated right. his humor. He was Carson's guy. Yeah, he was Carson's yeah. guy. So he knew that he had something in David Letterman. He just didn't know what. And at this time, you know, the, the, after the day show has failed, he's he's on Carson a lot. Carson's, uh, I, I think he had 22, uh, he hosted actually the, the Carson show 22 times. That's amazing. In that, in that short time frame. Uh, my name is David Letterman. Welcome to The Tonight Show. Now, before we actually begin the show, there is something that I should say. Uh, it's just kind of a little nuisance. Uh, you may have read about it. There's a little health problem here in Los Angeles, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, trivial uh, by comparison to other things. But the NBC nurse here did want me to ask you folks, how many of you are here for the free brain fever inoculations? <laughs> Do you know if that's a record? Uh I'm not sure. Yeah. That, that was something that I didn't really right dive there, into though, in my research. Think, right? uh, it does, but if it's broken by anybody, that record is going to be Jay Leno or mm-hmm. Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. They're going to be yeah. the, the two that might yeah. have done it more than him. The only other one I remember hosting Carson or guest hosting Carson was Gary Channeling. Also. Yeah, Gary Channeling. Yeah, I, uh, I don't think he did as many as the other ones either. I think no. he did very, very few yeah. in comparison. But David Letterman's up there, top three, if not top one. Yeah. Well, well I think Gary's uh, experience from co- from uh, guest hosting that is what created the Larry Sanders show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably, but, I think that's yeah, where he likely. went on and went on and did that. So uh, in all this time, uh, you know, they gave him twenty thousand dollars a week. Twenty thousand dollars a week. Yeah, the contract was for like a million, but they never made it to the full million because they gave him something to do before the... Because right. I think that was like what the terms of the contract were is uh, we're going to have you on this retainer, you know, this mm-hmm. entertainment retainer, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to give you the $20,000 a week. If we give you a show before X amount of time, the new co- then, then there's a new contract that comes out. Not we. This contract is done, and then we, oh, wow. then we come at you with a formal contract for a show or whatever yeah. it is that they were doing. Yeah. Well, around this time, you've got NBC, you've got Carson Productions, Mm -hmm. and um, you also have what would become Worldwide Pants, which was called Space uh, Space Age Meets Productions. Space Age Meets. Space Age Meets Productions. Sure. And (laughs) NBC, Carson, and Space Age Meets, all three get together, and they make an announcement. It was November 9th, 81. Can you imagine being Johnny Carson, like one of the most respected people on TV or, or in the U.S. at the time, and you, you're going to have a co-meeting with a thing called Space Age Meets. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. yeah, to be, to be, to be from that older, yeah. uh, you know, uh, generation yeah. of comedy, and then, you know, you got Space mm-hmm. Age Meets. Yeah. It, like, their comedy was so clean and so cut sure. uh, and curated a certain way, and sure. then you have all the guys that were influenced by that pure comedy, and now they're coming out with even purer forms of comedy. It's just you know? weirdos. Yeah, it's just yeah. weirdos doing meta weird stuff. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So uh, they announced <laughs> on November 9th that they're going to start the late night, and yeah. that's going to be the 12.30 a.m. slot. Right. And Because uh, previously, 
when when Carson went off, I mean, you pretty much got the the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever, and then <laughs> you got or maybe a late movie or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You got a late movie. I think it was late movies was most yeah. of the time is what yeah. you'd get. You didn't have much. There wasn't much. Company, investing in the future of the great North State. Join us again tomorrow for another day of the finest in television programming. And from the staff and management of KHSL, have a pleasant good night. In the way of anything, I'm yeah. so old that I remember when TV stations went off. Oh, signed off. They did yeah. the sign off and everything. Yeah. I'm not that old. Yeah, not that old, Mike. I remember yeah. that. We had uh, uh, what did we have at, on late night? Uh, after late night, and uh, you would get uh, you probably got infomercials. Infomercials. Yeah. You would get uh, what was the infomercials? You would get the infomercials for the CDs. Sure. Or you'd get Time the life. Uh, busty babes or something like that. It was like you know <laughs> you somebody selling porn or something sure, like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that's what we got in the middle of the night. <laughs> So remember, use your credit card and get two beautiful CDs for just $16.99. Call 1-800-818-6806 to order the Ultimate Love Songs Collection on two CDs for $16.99 plus shipping and handling when you use your credit card. Call now or order online at timelife.com. So they wanted a... Yes, Space Age Meets. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, at the time, uh, you had Tomorrow Coast to Coast with Tom Snyder in that slot. That was, you know... And that's funny that you say there was nothing after Letter, uh, mm-hmm. nothing after Carson, because mm-hmm. there was nothing after Carson. After time passed, Tom Snyder became yeah. that nothing spot. You know, you and I talked about uh, Tom Snyder a little bit and about how how uh, prolific his career was. Like the people that he interviewed. Like, oh, absolutely. You know, you talked about yeah. he, he interviewed Manson. He interviewed Timothy O'Leary. You know, all of these guys. Yeah, he he, he had Timothy some prolific, Leary, yeah, Timothy Leary, yeah. the electric Kool-Aid test. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there I was, don't know why I want to say O'Leary. O'Leary, I don't know either. <laughs> like, I did too whenever we were discussing it. I wanted it, like yeah. it almost came out O'Leary. He's, I had to stop myself. He's descendants of the people who had the cow. Well, I'm you know, sure. Burned down Chicago. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so he displaces the Tomorrow Coast to Coast, and then Tom Snyder was uh, offered to move his show back an hour. They, mm. they, the NBC didn't outright just say, hey, you're gone, you're done, right. this is it. Right. They offered him the ultimatum of, yeah, you could keep doing your show an hour later. After and, Letterman. And after Letterman, you mm-hmm. know, and, and to think you got Carson and you got Letterman mm-hmm. and then Tom Snyder to follow. Tom Snyder at that time in his career, uh, he actually didn't even really like the show. Yeah, sure. Uh, NBC did too much to it. They mm-hmm. had their hand in it too much mm-hmm. and he didn't really mm-hmm. like that when he watched Carson pretty much get to do what Carson wanted to do. Yeah. And to have the same, you know, Notoriety. I mean, he's a, he, at that time people that knew Johnny Carson knew Tom Snyder. He was he sure. was a known figure. He had the sure. same kind of kind of kind of known. He was more of a journalist figure, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He was more of a journalist. He wasn't necessarily like a late night comedian. The show was yeah. always weird to me, where it was like in a big black box. Like yeah. there was, it was just a black curtain behind them, and just two people sitting there, lots of smoking going on, and they would just talk about whatever. Yeah, he was more of an interviewer mm-hmm. than, than like a comedian, mm-hmm. I think. Too. But yeah, he, yeah. he did single interviews per show too. So like yeah, he did the hour-long interview. Yeah, one person. Yeah. Happy Monday. A picture of the world's most expensive ice skating rink at Rockefeller Center here in New York. What a weekend in this city today. First of all, or what a weekend in this city Saturday and Sunday. Not today. Uh, Saturday, Lindy's Restaurant reopened here in Rockefeller Center uh, down on uh, 50th and 6th Avenue. I like that format. Yeah. I like the hour-long interview, but Tom Snyder's hour-long interviews? Yeah. Uh, they're like, like I said, only the iconic ones to me really are interesting to watch. Cause I've watched a few of his interviews from yeah. just, you know, m- you know, movie stars of the day or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And none of them were as interesting as the, you know, the ones that made his career. Sure, sure. So. Well, it's like, um, oh shoot. What was, what was some of the other guys of that time? Like the guy who, who, um, damn it. He's like the little guy. Uh, and he was interviewing like John Lennon and, and folks like that. Oh, Dick Cavett? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised I remember that name. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, applause. so Dick, <laughs> yeah, good job. Whoa. Uh, Dick Cavett. Uh, it's sad what I, sorry to interrupt you, but it's sad what no, I remember that from. 
the only reason why I remember that interview is because of Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the right. Dick Cavett show. Forrest that was, Gump. That's it. That's the only reason why I know. Yeah, that was going to yeah. be the next words out of my mouth. It was like uh, the one they redid on Forrest Gump. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I think of those guys as as uh, being the same time. Next guest is I, uh, as unpredictable a man, I guess, as you could meet. He's uh, original, brilliant, sometimes angry, uh, sometimes not. He recently covered the conventions for Life magazine, and this. Uh, turned into a book that he has written based on his experiences and his reporting is so uh, so great to read um, his book is called St. George and the Godfather or St. George as they say in England I don't know uh, for sure what that title means um, he however uh, is called Norman Mailer here he is you yeah, know, yeah, Dick absolutely. Cabot, Tom Snyder. Yeah, they're around that same time. Yeah, absolutely. They're, Even they're Merv Griffin space. to a certain Merv Griffin extent. Griffin to an extent, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. They're all around that same time frame. Yeah, yeah Merv had more of a like regular talk show type yeah. setup. Yeah, he was funnier too. Though. I feel like yeah. Merv had a little yeah. bit more comedic talent than mm -hmm. Tom Snyder. Tom mm -hmm. Snyder's pretty dry. Tom Snyder is extremely dry. Yeah, yeah. and Dick Desert Cabot. Like, Dick Cabot was a funny guy. Yeah, he was funny. But uh, always very dry. He's dry. Very dry humor. Yeah, very dry humor. Yeah. I think Tom Snyder's just dry. He's <laughs> just dry in general. Just dry yeah. in general, yeah. All right, so getting back to our uh, our namesake here. Uh, Letterman, uh, he's been offered this show. Yep. So uh, offered the show, takes. of course he takes it. Mm -hmm. uh, they do the announcement on November 9th, 81. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the targeted audience is young males. Mm -hmm. They're trying to appeal to, you know, 18, 18, to, 24. 18 to 24. Sure. Probably, probably more like 18 to 35 is yeah. really what they were going for, yeah. but 18 to 24. And... Uh, it was kind of funny, though, because whenever they're doing the contract, Carson said, well, you're funny, but you can't be funnier than me. So mm. he put a lot of stipulations mm. on the first, uh, on, on the NBC David Letterman program. And you can kind of understand that. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. he didn't want anybody in there taking over well, his no. job. Which I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But it's funny, some of the some of the stipulations were, you know, no sidekick. Mm. So he couldn't have a... Uh, you know, uh, Andy Richter, you mm -hmm. know, somebody sitting beside him the whole Even time. Even though Paul uh, was really a sidekick. Paul was a sidekick. Yeah. He took, he took that, he took that, uh, I can't have any sidekick thing mm -hmm. and turned his musicians into mm -hmm. his sidekicks. Cause yeah. he did the same thing with Frank Owens in the daily show sure. on the daytime show yeah. as he did with, uh, with Paul Schaefer. Yeah. So you've got these stipulations. He's not allowed to have any old show business guests. Mm. So none of the, the Bob hopes, mm -hmm. the, the new hearts, mm -hmm. you know, any of them old timers. He's not allowed to have any of those guys on his show. Yeah. Um, which that changed at a certain point. Yeah, at a certain point yeah. it changed absolutely. But originally, whenever Johnny's Letterman like, retired or not, or sorry, whenever Carson retired, mm -hmm. I think is probably when all that changed. when all that changed, and that's about the time he went to CBS anyway. Yeah. So, uh, he was allowed limited topical jokes in his monologue. Mm. So his monologue had to been, you know, they had to review his monologue to make sure that he didn't really? have too many funny jokes in his monologue. <sighs> Wow. Which I thought that was interesting, and then uh, of course everybody knows it was filmed at Thirty Rock, which was the yeah. original RCA, sure. Later the GE building, mm -hmm. and uh, they did that to avoid guest overlap. So if J Johnny had somebody on, there's no way that David Letterman could, right. you know, right. have those same people on on the same night anyway. So, and I think that pulls us into the station on the first episode. Yeah, that's the pretty much the quick. Uh, build up to the first episode. Yeah. So now we're, I, I'm caught up with you basically. February right? 1st, 1982. February 1st. AM Eastern is where we're at. <laughs> so, uh, when the show, when the, the beginning is just fantastic by the way. And it, and it has, it very much gives homage to his morning show. Oh, absolutely. With the, uh, the rainbow grill, peacock girls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So and then the uh, first thing we get is Larry Bud Melman which we've never seen before. No, never seen it before. Comes out of the darkness. The Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, yeah. homage, monologue. Yeah. Almost like a night gallery. Yeah, with his know, head kind of tilted. Kind of yeah. You know, the shadows on his Alfred face. Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. comes out and tells you how this show may be shocking. It may... Real avant-garde style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And then it leads right into the Peacock Girls. Yep, and it leads right into the Peacock Girls, and then uh, they just they do their dancing. They put their feathers together. It's, it's like a, it's like an old uh, what you would think like an old Las Vegas strip show. Yeah, showgirls. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely, Vegas mm -hmm. showgirls. And then Letterman comes out through through the feathers, and this is I would say ninety five percent of America. This is their introduction to David Letterman. Good evening. Certain NBC executives feel it would be a little unkind to present this show without just a word of friendly warning. 
We are about to unfold a show featuring David Letterman, a man of science who sought to create a show after his own image without reckoning upon God. It's one of the strangest tales ever told. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you don't care, to subject your nerves to such a strain. Now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. cities in the tri-state area, it's Late Night with David Letterman. Tonight's guests are Bill Murray, Don Mr. Wizard Herbert, also a tour of the set, a special late night report on the shame of the city, and a rainbow grill dancing girl. you were a diehard Carson sure, fan sure, and you sure. just religiously watched it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At There's, this point, you probably you probably know who he is in passing. Yeah. And, and and then again, you might not even know who he is in passing. Yeah. Uh, there was a podcast that I watched. I'm 31, mm-hmm. and I watched. I listened to a podcast over the week and mm-hmm. uh, hilarious podcast. It was the the B Man podcast mm-hmm. I was telling you about, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they interviewed David Letterman, and they called a pet shop, and the manager of the pet shop was 30. Yeah. And they said. We've got David Letterman here on the line. Uh, yeah. We'd like to have a word with him. We'd like to talk to David Letterman. And he's like, who's David Letterman? <laughs> like, there's, there was no significance to him who David Letterman was. I'm I was sure like, Letterman got a kick out of that. Oh, he yeah. did. He loved it. He ate it up. It, it was great. Yeah. And then it made me laugh because I'm thinking, I'm only a year older than this guy, and he does not know who David Letterman is. Yeah, but, dude, you, you kind of immerse yourself in this stuff, though. Well, to an extent, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, mean, I, just, I just have always appreciated comedy. And, then, and, and I, th- I feel like... You know, when he's first being introduced on February 1st, 82, to like the majority of America, if you didn't appreciate comedy fully and you hadn't really immersed yourself into comedy, yeah, yeah, you're not going to know who he was. It's just like you wouldn't know who a lot of the stand-up comedians that we have today, a lot of people don't know a lot of their names because they're, you know, people just, not everybody is into comedy. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has the mind to understand humor. Well, I think what happens also is uh, what, what continues to happen to me. Um, I, I, I watch all this TV and I watch all these shows and stuff and, and, uh, it's weird to even say TV at this point. Like I watch TV because you watch so many different sources, Oh, absolutely. but if I go back and I rewatch something, so like, for instance, I'm, I'm almost done with rewatching all the King of the Hill and, um, I did not realize how many people were in that and how many writers and how many influences there were. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that show Love it. And that's but like that, one of my favorite shows. But that ever. happens to me all the time where, yeah. like, if I go back and I watch something, I'll, I'll be like, oh, shit, well, there's this comedian or there's that comedian or whatever. And I've probably seen this thing five times, but it doesn't click with me unless they've gone on to do something else. Absolutely. Well, you know? I, I think you find that in a lot of, uh, like we were discussing earlier, you find that in a lot of different avenues of comedy yeah. where people start off writing for somebody mm-hmm. and then they go do something else and you're like, yeah. you have no clue of the connection. Mm-hmm. But Or even just actors. Even yeah, just, just actors. Like, um, um, and I don't mean even actors, but you, you know what I'm saying. Um, it seems like it would be easier as a writer to get somebody to like you and move on to a thing. An actor is forefront, you know, on the screen. And so it would seem like it would be harder to get those additional appearances and stuff. Oh, absolutely. I think so too. I feel like it's easier for writers to move around than it would be for an actor to Mm -hmm. be fluid. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at a lot of David Letterman writers, they go on to do prolific things that unless you do the research, you would have no clue Mm -hmm. that they were attached to David Letterman in any way, shape or form. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of his writers that you can go back and look at and see the different things they've done. I think that'd be a cool episode uh, to yeah, explore that. We had talked about doing something with Meryl Marco. 
Yeah, Meryl Marco. Um, and then, you know, my desire to do the Larry Bud Millman thing and the Chris Elliott thing. Yeah, and talk about all those connections and where they came from. I think that that's what stuff. a lot of our content is going to be. Yeah. Actually, Mike is making connections with David mm-hmm. Letterman to other mm-hmm. pieces of comedy that everybody else yeah. might know and be able to appreciate more than David Letterman. Yeah. Which that's, that's what the great thing I feel like is about late night in general is all of these late night guys have people that come on their shows, write for them. They come and do interviews with them. Mm-hmm. And then you get to go on and see all of the great stuff that they mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes late, late night so prolific because you wouldn't otherwise see these people or get to experience their comedy. And the only other thing I can think of that, that uh, well, I mean Carson, but the only other thing I can really think of that, that feels this way is Saturday Night Live. You know, because you have all the connections and all the people that have gone through the writing room and all that kind of stuff. But I almost feel like Letterman and SNL kind of have this tie to each other because a lot of those people came and went throughout his show, Saturday Night Live, you know, writers, all that stuff. I think they all kind of cross cross paths at the same time. I think it's that 30 Rock thing. Yeah, it's the 30 Rock thing. Not only is it the 30 Rock thing, it has to do with, uh, I think it's got a lot to do with the the comedy store too. Yeah, that's true. And there was a lot of those SNL comedians Mm. that kind of started out in the comedy store. And even when you talk about SNL comedians, you might be talking about writers. Yeah, writers too. Yeah, yeah not just yeah. not just people standing on stage I think performing. We, but yeah, we talked about Al Franken, Franken and Davis last time. They started out as writers, right? Yeah, they were comedians. They were writers. They were just looking for a thing, you know. Whether that means we're going to be writers the rest of our lives, or we're going to be stand up, or we're going to do skits, or we're going to, you know, whatever it is, it feels very much like a lot of these folks started out that way and just said, "Okay, I'm going to do the shotgun approach," and then all of a sudden they end up being writers, or all of a sudden they end up doing skits on this thing or that yeah, thing absolutely. or whatever. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know that this is where we intended to take this podcast necessarily, but I think it's the most interesting pathway. Uh, well, it's the evolution of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it's, uh, I feel like it is a, it, it's a David Letterman tribute, but yeah. you, you can't tribute David Letterman without uh, discussing his influence. Sure. And All that's, these other and that's what it is, is there's so many people that can attribute uh, late night, not just Dave Letterman, but late night in general yeah. to their comedic success yeah. and their successes in general, whether it be with comedy writing or comedy acting or uh, right. any anything in those avenues, yeah. you know, whether it be going on to create animated shows for Adult Swim mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anything like that. There's so many different things that these people go on to do that I feel like have to be explored a little bit. So let's 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 dive back into episode one. So we get we get the big introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Letterman takes us on a tour. Yeah, we have the the piano concerto uh, number one. Uh, we have the <laughs> Tchaikovsky, and then the Peacock Girls, and then he does the, uh, the 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 super super sarcastic tour of the studio. <laughs> yeah. And then at one point, uh, he goes in, and you're there at Oktoberfest. Goes into the control room. Yeah, he talks about how how's you know uh, this is this is the brain trust. This is this is where everything comes from. He walks in and there's Oktoberfest going yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that I noticed is uh, a very very young Chris Elliott as he he walks into the room. He's just kind of part of the crowd. So it it makes me assume that all of the people in there are people that work on the show. You yeah, know, absolutely. they're all writers. Probably, and all probably that stuff. so. Yeah. yeah, probably so. Yeah, I and, imagine so because he was uh, as far as. Uh, Including everybody, yeah. David Letterman really put a lot of people in production in the show. Biff Henderson won't be yeah. one of the bigger ones. Yeah, uh, he really integrated everybody. He wanted everybody <laughs> to feel a part of the the machine. Well, it also feels like it was necessary. Like at that time, I doubt there were that many people working on the show. So you probably not. You have to use every part of the buffalo. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's everybody for everything. Yeah, and that's what they were doing. Absolutely, that's what they were doing. Not many people ever get to see the inside of one of these things because. It's a pressure-packed area. It's just about like being an air traffic controller. Let's go on inside and see how this baby works. What did I tell you? Yes, sir. You folks are in real luck. It's fine night, I think. How's it going? Good. Oh, this is great. All right. Our director right over here. Al, how's it going? Nice to see you. we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, and then going to the SNL, so he has his first guest. Uh, Bill the, Murray. The Bill Murray. That, that was the first guest, yep. Yep. the bookends, so to yep. speak. He's the David Letterman bookend. <laughs> so he's the first guest on Late Night. He is the first guest on the CBS show. Absolutely. And then he's the last guest that Letterman ever has. Ever has. Yeah. 
Gets, yeah. I mean, if you don't count the Netflix stuff and all that. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing, yeah. But no, he gets hammered drunk and uh, goes to MSNBC <laughs> right after that and falls out of a chair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had a good time on that that last episode. That's Bill Murray fantastic. did. Fantastic. Yeah, Bill Murray's one of my all time favorites. Dave Letterman, come on, everybody out! Everybody out! Hi, Bill. How's it going? Fine. Nice to see you. Good. Thanks for being on the show. I certainly appreciate that. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I just wanted... I hope you don't take any offense. Offense of what? Well, I just came in. If you folks in the studio probably don't know this, but I had to go feed the... I had to go back home, and I came right back, and uh, I got caught in traffic. They were a little nervous out there. It uh, was no problem. It's just that I'm not wearing shoes right now. <laughs> no, I just didn't have shoes. Oh, there was a problem early? No, no. They shouldn't have... They didn't tell you, obviously. You look, Sedated, so obviously you don't know. So my favorite thing about the Bill Murray interview was mm-hmm. the, oh well, I have a video of my pets or whatever he was discussing, and then he pulls out a video of a Chinese sure. zoo sure. at a panda exhibit, and just yeah. the exchange between him and him and David during uh-huh. that part was oh my gosh, it was fantastic. Well, you could tell that that all of it was made up by Murray also because he starts off the conversation with. You know, I'm going to be watching you. You're you're an evil guy. You're trying to get over on me and stuff. And then they come back from commercial, and he's like, "Well, I have a salt imbalance." You know, yeah. <laughs> no, you're yes, you're a really good buddy of mine. You know, you've been there all along, or whatever. And then he starts talking about his pets and brings out the video. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. And there's another, and and that's a that the, the, at that point, Bill Murray was off of SNL. Uh, really Stripes, an established uh, star at that point, yeah. This was the year after Stripes, and I yeah. think Stripes was a number three in the box office at the time. It was like a really cheap movie, and they made like yeah, you know, yeah. tens of millions of dollars off of a few million dollar budget. Yeah, he had done he had done Caddyshack and Stripes and and Where the Buffalo Roam and um, Meatballs at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And so he was he was a juggernaut. You yeah, know, yeah, he was could, huge. He, he was Bill massive. Murray in anything, and and it would people would go see it. Even even where the buffalo roam, yeah, even where the buffalo roam, which is terrible, yeah, yeah but it's not a great massive. movie. But it does have uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, cinematic uh, moments, where um, he is uh, playing the part of uh, the famous writer Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. So he's playing the part of Hunter S. Thompson. He's out in this cabin, out in the middle of the you know snowy whatever woods or whatever, and he's got a he's got a Doberman and. He's got a dummy that's dressed like Richard Nixon, and he just says Nixon, and that dog goes over straight oh, for the crotch, and that's Nixon. one of my favorites. I just, I don't know why that sticks to. That's me. funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> Growing up, I was always like Nixon, you know. <laughs> Nixon. <laughs> yeah. So Bill Murray's an established star at this point. Uh-huh. He comes on this show that nobody really knows what it is. Nope. Uh, you've been subjected <laughs> to. Uh, not only Letterman's introduction, not only um, uh, Larry Bud Melman, all of this stuff, but also in the commercial breaks, you you you, you have this weird non sequitur, which is like, gosh, I it, it's it's interviewing normal people on the street, and they all say, uh, I wish there was a show about joining metals. Absolutely, that was that was great. <laughs> and, and then, then they then, just show guys welding. Well, not only did they show guys <laughs> welding, what was funny is they showed. They showed and explained what kind yeah. of welding each welder was Oc- doing that they showed. Uh, shield arc welding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shield arc <laughs> welding and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was that was great. Not but, only that not only did it show their uh, show like the, the the nonsensical side of everything, yeah. showed the dedication to the bit. <laughs> it they was, ran the bit the whole show and every time they would show somebody welding, they described it so exactly what they were doing. It was just so funny to me. Zero explanation. None whatsoever. The yeah. only explanation you get <laughs> is the microphone from whoever they were asking. Yeah. And, uh, well, I would like to learn more about joining metal. <laughs> like, why is there not a show about joining metal? Yeah, I wish yeah. there was a show about joining metal. Yeah, it's just the dumbest thing, but it's fantastic. Phrase of joining metal. Okay. Something about how to join metal. I would like to see the the metal is joined. Oh, I wish there was a show that had information on how metal is joined. <laughs> All right. So after after Bill Murray, we move on to what? Well, we're still on Bill Murray, so. Okay. Cut back. We come back from commercial, and then yep. 
He starts doing jumping jacks to Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> Let's get physical, physical. And he starts dancing to that, which, again, is just nonsensical. It just seems like yeah. he said he called up, you know, hey, Bill, mm-hmm. uh, you doing anything Monday night? <laughs> you know, that's how it felt. That's well, how the show felt. That was the other thing that you and I talked about. It's like uh, uh, on the show, it felt like, oh, these guys don't know each other. But you know they know each yeah, other. Absolutely. And they, they had to prep for some of it, or yeah. they just said, eh, screw it, just make it up. And it feels like... That's how it feels to me. It was like, there was like, hey, we've got this, we've got this, yeah. but we're just going to kind of ad-lib. Yeah, sure. It feels like they knew what they were going to do, and then they just kind of went with it from there. I don't is... know that Letterman and those writers even knew what the show was going to be at that point. No, I don't think they did. You know? I think they were just... Uh, <laughs> Let's just throw all this crap at the wall and see what happens. Yeah, just like the thing with the, the, the daytime show, they didn't really have an idea of... They just knew that they wanted to be funny. Right. And they... Right. They didn't shy away from their own funniness, what they found funny. The laughing, if you're not laughing, they don't care. As long as they're laughing is how I feel about all of anything that David Letterman ever did is he's not looking for your laugh. Yeah. He, he, he's not satisfied with everybody else's laugh. It's, mm-hmm. if it's, is it funny to me? Mm-hmm. Is it funny to the staff? Is it funny to the, you know, the, the, the studio audience? Is it funny to the people that are watching me and in the environment with me right now? And he struggled a lot with all those kind of things. I wish there was, uh, footage of like those writers rooms and stuff from that time that would just be fascinating to oh, it watch would be. some of the ideas some of the ridiculous stuff that they came up with and threw away it would be imagine if they had the technology that we have nowadays no kidding, you know what right? i mean it's insane to you think would just of, stream the writers from yeah, the writing just room or whatever. put a camera on them and you just see the cogs working dude i would never get anything done i would just watch that all the time it'd probably be it'd probably be mind-numbingly hilarious you'd probably laugh so much you, yeah. you'd have to turn it off yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so so we get through bill murray what happens next? They do. Oh, after Bill Murray, it cuts to the uh, the Larry Preston uh, change of school hours, February 1st, 1982. <laughs> the school hours are now from 12 noon to 3 o'clock. But the president says they can leave whenever they want. Sure. <laughs> yeah. The hope of the president is to broaden the interests and grow his citizens and watch more late night TV. Sure, yeah. sure. And and again, I think you said that you thought at first it might be a real thing. Yeah, I really like I was... I was thinking, like, I slowly was listening to it. I was yeah. like, okay, all right. They changed the school hours sure. in the 80s for whatever reason. Nationally. Yeah, nationally. They changed the school hours. Yeah, they changed the school hours. And then <laughs> as soon as he said, oh, the school hours are from 12 noon to 3. But the president says uh, that just means they can leave whenever they want. Sure, sure. And then I knew. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. I'll watch more late night. Yeah, this yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. Hello, I'm Larry Preston, Undersecretary of Education. I'm sure by now you've all heard about the president's change of public elementary and high school schedules. If not, uh, let me refresh your memory. On February 1st, 1982, everywhere in the United States, the American School Day will begin at 12 noon. That's right, school now begins four hours later. But the later start time does not mean that your children must stay at school later. The school day will still end at 3 o'clock. The president's official quote on the matter was, they can leave anytime they want. It is the hope of the president and all of us here at the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare that your youngsters take advantage of this new schedule to broaden their interests, grow as citizens, and spend a lot more time watching late-night television. Thank you. That was a great bit. Like, that bit, it really does, like, again, it just dives into the madness of David Letterman and Meryl Marco, which, again, is David Letterman, Yeah, I think. Meryl Marco was his voice. Honestly. Absolutely. She knew how to write for him. Yeah. Specifically. I feel like she knew, like, I don't think that uh, she could have translated any of her, her humor if she didn't have the translator, David Letterman. Yeah. I don't think anybody could have yeah. could have put it on, on TV. He was just kind of her mouthpiece way. at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be honest with you, there were very few women hosting shows or given those kind of opportunities either. Yeah, because uh, she's actually really funny, and if mm-hmm. if you watch the uh, the interviews with her and David Letterman when he has her on the show, you could see how she could control us. Yeah. She she could be in that spot yeah. just as easy as he is. You feel like she missed it by like twenty years. Yeah, that's it. That's all you it know? is. Twenty yeah. years. If she would have like if she would have been starting out now, it'd be her. Yeah, she could have a show. She yeah. could she would be the, the the syndicator, and she would have the syndicated program twenty years from now. She always kind of reminded me of. Um, uh, Elaine Boozler and folks yeah, like that, absolutely. you know, that, that, uh, they, their humor was a little more gentle, but well, they were um, all together too in the same, yeah. same space. Cause Meryl Marco's at the comedy store at the right. same time that David Letterman is. Cause they're, they're dating at this point. Sure. So 
before even the morning show, they're dating at this point. Right. And they're all, they, they meet at, I, I don't know, they meet at the comedy store, but they meet in LA. Right. And, uh, that's, you know, that's where his career starts. That's the genesis of everything. When he's with Meryl Marco, you gotta yeah. think they were together for 10 years. Oh, that's crazy. That's the beginning of his career. Yeah. As we, as we know it. Yeah, yeah, of course yeah, he had sure. a broadcasting career before he ever went West. Sure. He had the Midwestern broadcasting career and yeah. he could have, and he could have done that and they could have stayed there and he could have been just as successful. Maybe not as, you know, he, he might not be worth 400 million if mm-hmm. he would have stayed as a broadcaster, mm-hmm. but he had regional success already. So when he goes out West and he meets up with Meryl Marco, I feel like, She's able to harness the power of David Letterman. Yeah. Whereas NBC was trying to find a place to put him. Mm-hmm. She knew where to put him, mm-hmm. but didn't have a place to put him. You know what I mean? She knew what to do with David Letterman, obviously, because she like a lot of his successes, and even he can say that is attributed to her writing and her comedy styles. Yeah. Which yeah, is we need to we need to actually do a deep dive on her. I think that would yeah, be I need fun. to do more research on her too because I haven't done a lot. I haven't I dived too much. Fun. There's there is a book she wrote in the '80s mm-hmm. uh, about David Letterman. That's about as far as I've gotten. I think that was after they broke up, right? She wrote kind of a it wasn't really a tell all book or whatever, but it was more about her into the mind of David Letterman kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like yeah. uh, I want to say yeah, it was probably after they split up. Yeah, but, I'm almost positive. Yeah, because it was written in the '80s and they weren't together in the in yeah. the '80s. Yeah. They weren't together at this point. All right, so we've we've gone through the green room. We've we've talked to um, uh, Bill Murray. We know that the school hours are changing. What what do we got next? Well, next uh, you get the debut of Shame in the Shame of the City. Sure. So at first, uh, the first bit on the Shame of the City, he's walking around, walking mm-hmm. around, and then you 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 see it pans through, and you see all these pine trees laying on the ground, looking right. like it, like after a Christmas event. And it being uh, February 1st, there's probably still some residual Christmas stuff yes. in New York City, it being yes. as large as it is. So he kind of pans through, and then uh, he starts talking about the, the trees, and uh, oh, we're, we're, we're felling trees here in New sure. York City. We're, ha- we're having a deforestation, you know, all this kind of stuff. I thought that was hilarious <laughs> how he's in this really urban setting with all these trees, and yeah. he's talking like we're walking through a forest kind of A bunch of, of dead Christmas trees. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of dead Christmas trees. Yeah. And then... Uh, Next thing he segues into is uh, he's outside of uh, Delhi or something like this in mm-hmm. New York, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he goes up to the sign, and the sign says "planning" instead of "planning." Sure. It says "planning a party." Try one of these, but they spell "these" like with two e's, like yeah. they spell "cheese." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, even the, the like the owner came out and everything, and he, he said, "And he's well, do you plan on?" fixing this sign. Right. He said, are you aware that your sign is you know, spelled incorrectly? <laughs> it's the shame of the city. Yeah. And, and the guy's like really just straight. And yeah. it's, and, and the guy, there's no comedy or whatever. In a lot of David Letterman stuff, there's real, there's no real comedy. You have yeah. to find the funny. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what it is. The guy's all like, well, yeah, I know the signs spelled wrong. But you're not. You know, it's like he says it like, "Well, you're not the first person that's came inside and said, right. hey, your sure, signs spelled sure, wrong.' Sure. It's New York City. A million people probably pass his window every day yeah. and see it." And uh, I thought that was just hilarious. I really liked the uh, when well, they leave the studio kind of thing. Yeah, I appreciate those bits. The remote up, site. Bits. It sets up all of those remote bits and all those all man on the street things and all that kind of stuff uh, for the future. Yeah, and then uh, I think the funniest. Uh, the whole the, the funniest part about that remote one is when he walks up to the booth police booth yes so uh, for those of you that don't know in New York they have random police booths throughout the city that where you know it's, it's like if, if there's something going on you don't have to go to the police station you go to the booth and you, mm-hmm. you, you know it's mm-hmm. to make police more accessible sure in, in a large city like that so he walks up and he's uh, starts walking up to everything and as he's walking up he's talking about the highest crime rate in the world All New right. York City right. and he goes well this is why. Look at this police force. And he's like, he points at this booth with <laughs> one, one guy, guy sitting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And uh, he's like, well, you know, a police force for a city of millions. You've got one guy mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. he said, are you the only person that works here? And the guy was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one in this booth. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm the only one in the booth. Yeah. yeah. So that those remote bits with that sarcastic humor, that yeah. that observational humor. Yeah. Where you're, 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 you're go, he goes out and he's just looking at everyday things that, you know, you'd walk by and passing and everything, nothing of it. But he turns it into a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like the police booth. Mm-hmm. I would have walked past that police booth a hundred times and would have never found that kind of humor. Oh, a city full of, you know, at that time, the crime right. rate was probably terrible. Yeah, it was. It in was New rough, York yeah. in the 70s and 80s. So, like, for him to... This is before Ed Koch came yeah, yeah, in and yeah, cleaned yeah. everything up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so when he did, when he when he, when he he throws that joke, oh, it's the, you know, the world's the world's most crime-ridden city sure. with the smallest police yeah. force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got one guy in a booth. 
New York City, center of culture, of wealth, of power, and victim of one of the highest crime rates in the history of mankind. A crime rate that continues to climb and shows no sign of stopping. And you have to ask yourself, is it really any wonder when you take a look at the police department? A population of 10 million, and this is the police department? It's shocking, horrifying, tragic, and yet nothing is being done about it. Excuse me, sir. Do you work here? Yes, I do. Are you the only one who works here? Yes, I am. Unbelievable, yet it's true. Truly. The shame of the city. Yeah, that does. It, it sets up very, very much uh, the, the future entities of this. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, segues into the next guest. Yeah. So his next guest was uh, somebody I've never heard of before until, until this show. and, and uh, Mr. Wizard? Yeah, Mr. Wizard. I'd never heard really? of Mr. Wizard huh. whatsoever before. Wow. And in this research, I find out, well... Bill Nye, the science guy. That's yeah. all he was, was yeah. Bill Nye for the 50s. He was. So David Letterman, as a child, fifty-one mm-hmm. sixty-five is when the show ran, 1951 yeah. to 1965. Yeah. Think about so that. 14 he, years. Yeah, and, he, crazy. and he probably watched that show. Oh, yeah. So, oh, but, absolutely. Without a doububt, David Letterman as a child. He, he was, was he was like Captain Kangaroo or he was like anything else, you know, of, of that time. Yeah, yeah that was just the childhood peak, memory of his. In the 50s and 60s, he was pulling 800,000 viewers yeah. at his peak yeah. for that show. Mr. And, Wizard, uh, Frank Frank Herbert, right? Don uh, Herbert. Don Herbert. That's Don what Herbert. I meant. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don Herbert was uh, a guest on Letterman several times, and yeah, uh, he was always a really funny guy. And he seemed like he didn't mind Letterman's tomfoolery. You know what I mean? He didn't. He didn't no, yeah. he played. He played up yeah. with it. He played into it, and because he was used to kids. Yeah, and you that's know, what David that Letterman was, is, is a giant child. Yeah, at that this was kind of that, that. That was always Mr. Wizard's whole shtick. You know, you bring in two kids and you show them how to rub a balloon on their head or whatever. Yeah, whatever you know, it is he was and doing. Then you explain yeah. the the electricity. From uh, roughly the years 1951 to about 1965, there was a television program on uh, oh Mr. Wizard. Uh, Don Herbert, of course, was Mr. Wizard. Uh, it, this is very exciting for me. He's here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. The original, the one, the only, Mr. Wizard. Hello, Don. Nice to see you. We're going to do some some neat stuff here. Before we get into that, in in those years, was there ever any serious mix-ups where a little kid was uh, roughed up a little on the show? (laughs) No, not really, because in the kind of show we were doing, you know, anything could happen. It was perfectly all right. Only once we did an experiment in which we put a bottle over a candle and then light the candle with a little coil next to the wick. And one time in the rehearsal, we got the wick wet. So when we got it all set up, we turned on the current, it got hotter and hotter and vaporized the candle so that in the bottle, we had a mixture of vaporized paraffin and oxygen. And suddenly it disappeared from the close-up. <laughs> up, up into the light. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and of course I was shocked uh, because I thought, my God, the bottle blew up. It turned out, I heard it clang down behind me. Uh-huh. So I knew that, that and, and the child was standing next to me. They were covered with water. And I was, too. Uh, and then as soon as I saw that she wasn't hurt, well, I got out a towel and wiped, her off, wiped myself off. And we went right on doing it. Was she stunned a little bit? Yeah, she sure was. And that was the only time we did, ever edited the show. Mm-hmm. We cut the laughter of the crew. We kept everything... <laughs> I did, like, like I said, I'd never heard of him before, and you can compare him to Bill Nye, which mm-hmm. was interesting because Bill Nye eulogized him. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I didn't, I yeah. didn't know that. Like I said, looking through the research and everything that I've done yeah. for this this episode, it was pretty neat to go back and watch some of that stuff and get to understand where a lot of the iconic figures from 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 my generation start. Because a lot of people think, oh, Bill Nye, he's got to be the guy that did start yeah. that. There's no other guy that was that yeah. quirky to start a science show for kids. Because at the time that Mr. Wizard. Uh, was on TV, it was right after the World War II. Mm-hmm. And at this time, scientists are seen as these almighty, mm-hmm. untouchable yeah, beings. absolutely. And he made science approachable is what he yeah. did. Yeah, that was the whole had idea. The, like, at that time, kids thought of scientists as, oh, these guys that create nuclear weapons and mm-hmm. do all this science and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, you know, elite figures. Right. Whereas nowadays... You could get, barely get people to listen to science. That's true. Yeah, we need we need a Mister Wizard for this generation. Don't Talking buy, to you, uh, Doctor Fauci. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, Don Herbert, I believe, also got a show on Nickelodeon out of the whole thing. Yeah, he did actually. Yeah, yeah he uh, ran for a short while with Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. 
uh, twice. Yeah. They actually tried to show twice on Nickelodeon, yeah. and that's around the time Bill Nye was coming yeah. on the scene with PBS. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like he ate into that a little bit. And by the time the show in the '90s comes about, Mr. Wizard is right. He's Mr. Wizard. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's old. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. he's old he's at gone. this point. He's gone at this point. I mean, his his peak was 51 to 65, mm-hmm. and you know they tried to bring it back for the '80s kids and stuff like that, which. He had a show uh, for it was eighty five to eighty nine, mm. and then they tried to bring it back again in the early nineties, mm-hmm. and uh, they actually reran his show all the way up until the year two thousand. Really? Yeah, it reran on Nickelodeon. So uh, I say I don't know Mr. Wizard, but I go back and I look at some of the Nickelodeon highlights, mm-hmm. and I have seen mm-hmm. Mr. Wizard and his mm-hmm. stuff before, but I don't know. Mr. It just Wizard. didn't make an impression on you. It yeah. didn't at all. No, yeah. it didn't. At all. It was too far gone at that point. Yeah, Bill Nye was funnier at that yeah, point yeah, yeah, and yeah. i feel like bill nye well, as a whole was funnier bill nye brought bought into the like mtv generation you know he yeah, would, yeah he would do things that kind of looked like music videos or whatever bill nye always the the way it was presented always reminded me of um like uh the the fresh prince uh intro like they would zoom in on things real quick and he would whip his head around you know and all that kind of stuff as yeah. he was talking yeah. yeah absolutely it was more of a presentation to it yeah, definitely. Absolutely way more presentation than uh, Mr. Wizard. Mr. Wizard was more science than presentation. Yeah, he was Bill like, Nye was equal part science and presentation, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we get past Mr. Wizard. Where are we at? Well, that uh, that brings it up to the uh, the final comic. You mm-hmm. know, they always have the, the comic usually mm-hmm. is the guy that closes the show, the comic or the music. Yeah, That's sure. usually the show closer. So you have some rando. I, I really couldn't find anything else about him. So if anybody else knows anything about us, yeah. about him, please let us know, because yeah. I, would, I would love to know more about him if there is anything. It was Steve Fessler mm-hmm. is the guy's name, mm-hmm. and he comes out, and he just recites lines from Bowery at Midnight, a Bela Lugosi movie, yeah. and he just reads this off, and then yeah. that's it. It just yeah. fades to black. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the it's, first episode. It's, it's a very fitting way to end what was a very weird show. Please welcome Steve Fessler. Bowery at Midnight with Bela Lugosi, John Archer, and Wanda McKay. Extra, extra, read all about it. Read about the escape of Fingers Dolan, paper mister. You shouldn't smoke that. It might stunt your growth. Ah, if you gotta go ahead and smoke it. I'm saving it for after dinner. Dinner? You mean you got a place for a handout? Sure, over at the Friendlies. A friendly what? Ain't you ever heard of the Friendly Mission? Nah. You're sure to get some swell food there and no questions asked. But what are we waiting for? Come on, pal. There it is. Ain't it pretty? Just like I told you. Gorgeous. And a guy that runs it, he's a soft touch. Oh, good evening. I see you brought a needy friend with you tonight. Yay. He's a pedestrian from Pittsburgh. You're very welcome. Here you will find food for your body, as well as comfort for your troubled mind. Yeah, but I'd really like some soup. Of course, my friend. What's happened to your hands? Ah, oh, nothing. I just played it a little bit. Uh, just the same, you'd better take care of it. Nurse Malvern, here's a patient for you. Have another bowl? No, thanks. And what about a... Smoke? Absolutely. And like, from beginning to end, like, it's really... You start off with the uh, Larry Bud Melman, mm-hmm. black and white. Bella Lugosi. Yeah, Bella Alfred Lugosi, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, Boris Karloff yeah. feel to everything. And then you end it with... Kind, of, a, kind of an equal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, um, um, I cannot, can you imagine being a, um, like an executive at NBC and you just saw what happened there and you're like, holy crap, what did we do? (laughs) Oh yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine the conversation around the water cooler between the executives the next day. They, 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 they were either thinking, wow, we just hit a gold mine or they're like, wow, this is, this is going to fizzle in a year or two. You know, from, from everything I've, I'm a huge TV person all my life, you know, little kid, black and white TV next to my bed, you know, supposed to be sleeping, watching old movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, taped everything, like I said, in my Betamax, (laughs) you know, uh, taped everything, rewatched things over and over and over. And from everything I understand about television executives and the way that things work, if it doesn't start off with a bang, they're not interested. Not at all. And, and it doesn't matter what that bang is. Right. They don't care what the bang right. is right. as long as it bangs. Sure. And it did. And, and one point something million viewers the first episode. Well, and that's the thing. You know, they had to look at it and go, what the hell is this thing? And then they had to look at the numbers and go, oh, 
okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe well, we got working. something here. Well, maybe yeah. we have something. Yeah. And they did. They had something. I don't know who the person was, and maybe you do with, with your research and stuff, but the person that, that decided, you know what, this show would do so much better late night. Uh, I, I don't feel – in my research, I don't really see where that conversation ever happened, yeah. but uh, Fred Silverman knew he yeah. had something. He it, knew he had something. It had to be Johnny and Silverman, though. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it was, it, 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 that's that's where all the roads lead to. Yeah. And, and if you look at everything, yeah, it's 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 those influences. It's, it's Carson, Johnny Carson. It's Fred Silverman. If it wasn't for those two buying into yeah. the David Letterman experience, then we wouldn't have one. We wouldn't, wouldn't have a David be Letterman. A thing. Yeah. But it's definitely Fred Silverman and Carson. Carson's appreciation for him, and then Fred Silverman's appreciation for Carson mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. Carson thinks. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's. And it's so weird because, like, Silverman, very much an established TV guy, you know, game shows, talk shows, all of that, you know, basic TV stuff that we all know. That's where he came from, you know, very much a 50s, 60s guy, and yet he's willing to buy into this dude, early 80s, who is just so absurd and weird. I feel like he understood that uh, the TV is, he knew it was evolving, yeah. and he had to catch up. Yeah. Or, or not necessarily catch up, but he didn't want to be the guy that lost David Letterman. Because mm-hmm. I feel oh, like... God, can you imagine? Imagine if David Letterman, at the, instead of doing a show with NBC, would have went to ABC yeah. or CBS yeah. at, the, at you know Initially. from the jump. Right, sure. Because sure. uh, from what I understand is there were other people vying for him. I don't know if at this particular time frame, mm-hmm. but there was other companies that eventually wanted David Letterman. Man, when he Fox, when he, everything, yeah, everybody when he, wanted him. When he tried to make that move uh to wherever from NBC. Yeah, before he, was he just, went to CBS. He was just yeah. fed up. You know, I know Fox was after him, CBS was after him, ABC was after him, everybody. That's wanted. why he gets the deals he gets yeah. with CBS. Yeah. That's why he gets the complete and total control of mm-hmm. his show. Mm-hmm. And then he gets two hours worth of time. Yeah. So he gets to make a second show. Yeah. Which is where he pays a uh, Pays dues to Tom Snyder, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you you lose Tom Gilmore Snyder, and, and you get all the other guys. And you get Ferguson, Ferguson, yeah. And Ferguson, Ferguson rides it out to show. the end. Yeah. Ferguson was a great show. I wish he would have stayed around a little bit longer. Yeah. He left a little too soon, but he left on his own terms. Yeah. He left how he wanted to leave, and and he left. Letterman probably should have left a little earlier than he did, but uh, well, he and I think says he that. says that right? he does. He, he well, says he says like that in a lot of his interviews. Whatever. He said he should have probably left the game a decade before he did, yeah. fifteen years before he did. Like he missed out on a lot of life experiences and opportunities. He says in a lot of these interviews he's talking to people he's like well you got a bunch of kids right he yeah. goes, you know that's my one regret in life is yeah. not having more kids yeah you know he said i love my son he said it's, it's nothing about him he said i just wish i would have siblings for him or yeah. something like that because david letterman knows he's old and he knows that his son will be in his mid to mid 20s when he passes mm-hmm. or he might mm-hmm. make it till he's 90 sure carson was in his 90s yeah so he might make it to that age but i'm not saying i mean i'm not wishing no ill on the man but you know he understands that at some point his son is left yeah, as a young man. Yeah, absolutely. With that's it, he doesn't. He's have not out there throwing a lot of balls like around with him and stuff. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. He's not able to do what he wanted. He wasn't able to be the father that he wanted to eventually be for his kids mm-hmm. because he spent his whole life, career, dedicated to the show. Yeah. And he even says that all I was about twenty four seven was the show, yeah. the ratings. Yeah. He said I become a, he became a ratings whore where he was only worried well, about it, ratings it, and it, it killed, affected his mood. It killed his mood. It killed uh, his relationships. It killed his his future. Everything. Yeah, Absolutely. it was it was all uh, encompassing. All he was just obsessed with it. Yeah, and uh, which I guess is what you have to do to be a success. To be David Letterman. Yeah. Yeah, you had to sacrifice. So you've said Johnny Carson's name several times during this this episode. And this has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it's about Carson. But one of my all-time favorites is also Dana Carvey. Love Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey does the best Johnny Carson impression. Dana Carvey in general does wonderful, a lot of great impressions. wonderful impressions of people because they're always off in some way, right? They're not just a straight-up, like, Rich Little. Do you remember Rich Little? You know that name? No, I don't know. You should look up Rich Little. I'll look Rich Little. Rich Little was like the impressionist's impressioner. You know, I mean, he was the guy that went to all of the um, roasts and all that stuff. You know, he was he was the guy who would just come on and do straight impressions. Dana Carvey seems like he's got a little Letterman, a little Rich Little in him where he does these impressions, but they're a little off. Like he does an impression of Johnny Carson, which is where I started this whole thing. Um (laughs) <laughs> the impression and maybe Allison can find it for us and throw it in here, but it is, it's Johnny Carson on his way home after he've had a couple of drinks 
And so it's like he's driving this little car and he talks about how he popped into the, the capoozle or whatever, you know, the name of the bar. And he got him a couple of uh, uh, green grasshoppers or something. It's just in the way that, that Dana Carvey says what he says as Johnny Carson with the mannerisms and the ridiculous crap that he's saying. I cannot hear Carson's name anymore without thinking about that. Without thinking about Dana, Dana Carvey. Carvey. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, I like Dana Carvey too. Yeah. I guess my uh, my experiences with Dana Carvey started with Wayne's World, mm-hmm. and then he did that one movie where he was like a secret agent. It's stupidest crap. I can't even movie think of what ever. it's called, but I remember yeah. watching that in yeah. theaters specifically. Where he plays the turtle and all that the stuff. Turtle, yeah, sure. The turtle, the turtleiest turtle in the Turtle Club. <laughs> so yeah, it was. It was so dumb. It's yeah, a I loved terrible it. movie. I loved yeah. Um, uh, so, did you ever see the Dana Carvey show when it was on? Never saw that. Never saw the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, you should look that up as well. Uh, that yeah, that, that should be part of your. It, it, I want to say it came on Fox. I'm not. I'm not 100. Maybe ABC, but uh, the Dana Carvey show. It came up in my research. It was. But a, I haven't watched it yet. It was a sketch comedy show, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the sketches were just they were above and beyond anything I've ever seen on network TV. It was. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that they, sounds they, like something I'd like. Yeah, there's one specifically about the Wizard of Oz. Just look that one up. Yeah. Okay. You'll, you'll, yeah, I'll check that one you'll out. You'll be in yeah. good shape. You'll be in good shape. Dennis Blanchett. We're on our way to see the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a real ball. Hey, why don't you scram? <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> now just a doggone second, you. Yeah, shut up. Gosh, he's so rude. Stop crying, you'll rust again. Excuse me, sir, but it seems that something is troubling you. Maybe the wizard can help you. He's going to help me and Toto get home. And get me a brain. And me a heart. And me a knife. What do you need? An ass. A what? An ass. I don't have an ass. You want to see? Absolutely. All right, man. Well, this was fun. Um, I think we, we made some progress here. We got oh, episode one under our belt. We got the first episode underneath our belt, yeah. which is good. And I think that, that going forward, instead of doing this episode by episode kind of thing, we're going to start picking and choosing who we're talking about. So, for instance, we would do an episode all about uh, all the interviews from Harvey Picar. Yeah, would, yeah, that's yeah. that's where I was going with it, uh, sitting around brainstorming and thinking about what what evolution it evolves into because it's got. I mean, it's, it does evolve. I mean, it's not realistic that we go through every single episode. <laughs> that was my initial plan. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, I'll be a thousand years old whenever I finish this. So. Yeah, I mean, and then I'll be five hundred years old. And right. If you're a thousand, That's I'll be five hundred right. by right. the time yeah. we end it. Yeah. Well, not only that, I feel like there's a lot of uh, filler episodes. You know what I mean? There's episodes sure. that aren't as funny as sure. other episodes, and uh, a lot of reruns. A lot of reruns. Sure. And I feel like it's better to explore the facets surrounding him as well not yeah. just him but yeah. all of the great talent all of the great writers and everybody that so let's let's talk about that what do you want to do what do you want to do with the next one i feel like we can't really go any further uh-huh. without exploring his relationship with Meryl Marco. Okay. So Marco's our next one. That's that's what I was going to suggest also. I yeah. mean, I think that that's a natural that, that that is the next thing we do. I feel like that. Yeah, for sure. And then um I don't think Carson needs an episode. I wanted no, to, I, I wanted to say other... but that would be a whole another podcast. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that's where we should start is Meryl Marco because okay. I I feel like she has one of the bigger hands in Dave's she, career. She is Dave. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially uh early Dave. Yeah. You know, she yeah. kind of yeah. goes off and does her own thing. A decade or about 15 years into the David Letterman experience, she uh, yeah. she kind of goes off and does Just her own Just imagine stuff. being the person that unleashed that on the world, you know. I think she apologizes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. she apologizes think she a couple times a for point, that. Yeah. 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 I saw her in something we were watching on Netflix uh, the other day. She was like a behind-the-scenes person or whatever. And she still looks great and talks, you know, very favorably about the time and all that stuff. But well, yeah, uh, she's got to attribute a lot of that to what she is now. A lot of the money that she had to be able to sure, explore what sure. she wants to explore personally comes from the money that was generated from and, that show. And time heals all wounds. And so, you know, I'm yeah, sure I mean, that if all you go back and uh, if you go back and you watch uh, 
the archival stuff. Yeah. And and you look at the uh, every time she was on Dave's Dave's show. Yeah. I mean, it's you could tell they. It was to me. It feels like an unrequited love. It, it, yeah. it, it's like they loved each other, but they were just too focused and too <laughs> too worried about the David Letterman show. I think they were too much alike. That too. You know, I think that was probably that the thing. All right, so that's what we're going to get into next time. Um, right. uh, thanks again, Rusty, for all of your wonderful uh, research. You, uh, you 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 amaze me in the amount of stuff that you bring. Well, I'm going to try to uh, start and digitizing for the comic it. Also, oh yeah, no problem. Oh, Absolutely, my God, that's so cool. Yeah, well. Santa had to bring a gift. It's, it's, yeah. it's almost Christmas, so gonna, I figured I'd get you a Christmas gift a little early. We're going to frame that and put it up somewhere here in the studio. That'll be wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, all right, so I guess join us next time. If you uh, if you want to check out the show or anything that we're doing, uh, you can always go to RogueMediaNetwork.com. Uh, Rusty, any parting thoughts? Well, no. As uh, the famous Walter Cronkite said, that's the way it is. That is the way it is. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for joining us on Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. I am Mike. And I'm Rusty. And join us next time for another episode of The Man from the City So Nice They Named It Twice. Wake the Kids at RogueMediaNetwork.com. Excellent. And we will see you next time. At the David Letterman Tribute Podcast. Okay, good enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. Rogue Media Rogue Network. 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 Network.